the girls have some handouts. So we have some kid handouts and some adult handouts. So if the, the girls pick the wrong one for you, let them know they uh, gave you the wrong handout. So Elizabeth, the tall one, has the adult handout. Although, children, if you're uh, older and you can handle it and you'd rather fill in the blanks on the adult paper, that's fine. We're going to look at Ephesians. <laughs> there's no, uh, there's no coloring on there, Paul. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter one this this evening, and we are going to talk about praying, praying to know. God, or if we added one more word to the title, we would say praying to know God better. So this isn't, this isn't actually an example of coming to know God, but this is an example of getting to know God better. And that's the kind of prayer that Paul has here. Um, before we read, I just wanted to explain some things about knowledge. You know, you see it. In our world today, knowledge is available everywhere, right? People can easily learn how to build bombs because they can go on Google and search for things and find out how to do things. And a lot of this access to knowledge that's so great, uh, it's so available and there's so much of it, a lot of it, because we are sinners, is used for evil purposes. Uh, we also know, uh, based on... What the, Bible tell, uh, what the Bible tells us in the early chapters, that there is knowledge that we're not supposed to have. There is actually knowledge that isn't good. We see that all the way back to the Garden, Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were to be able to have of any of the trees of the garden except for one, the garden, or I'm sorry, the tree of knowledge, but they partook of that uh, tree. They disobeyed God, and they did gain some knowledge that they weren't supposed to have. So there is knowledge that is good, and there's knowledge that's bad. So children, you probably already have a bunch of marks on knowledge, huh? Or no, right? said that a lot. There'll be a lot more, too. So we're talking about knowledge tonight, and specifically knowledge of God, though. But I would clarify... Knowledge, as we think about something like searching on Google to learn something, to know something, a lot of that is just information, getting facts. But when we talk about knowing God, it's more than just information. It's more than just facts. There's a lot of people that know some things about God. There's some people that are very educated about God but they don't know him personally. And when we talk about knowledge tonight and looking at this prayer, we're going to see that knowledge is more than just information. It's not just learning that God is infinite or that God is all-powerful. It's knowledge in a relationship. And again, without getting too specific, I would just point you to some scriptures again for this principle. It talks about Adam and Eve. 
and it talks about Adam and Eve uh, when they were first together. It then talks about Adam knew his wife Eve. There is a knowledge that comes through an intimate relationship, like we see with Adam and Eve, and that, that verb of to know is used all throughout Genesis and other places in the scriptures to explain a relationship, a growing in knowledge in a relationship. So it's not just information. So I, want, I, felt, I felt that was important to explain before we just talk about knowing God better. It's not just getting more information about him, but it is also growing in things we know about him for the purpose of more intimately being related to him, growing in our relationship. So it's not just empty facts or information, but it is tied up in a relationship. So with those things in mind, I'd like to read Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, and then pray, and then talk about Paul's example of a prayer here to know God better. So in verse 15, verse 15, Ephesians 1, starts this way. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Before we dive into that in more detail, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask again that you would help us to understand your word. We pray that you would give us insight that we can properly understand what we're being told here and that we would be more specific and more accurate in our praying, that we pray for ourselves to grow in knowledge uh, of you, but that we'd also pray for other believers to grow in knowledge of you as well and help us to understand some of the details of what that means and how we can improve and how we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the, for the adults that are filling out the blanks, we'll start off, uh, point number one there is the start of Paul's prayer. The start of Paul's prayer. St pa Paul starts um, giving a preface here to what he's praying, much like he does in several other books, and we've looked at a couple other prayers. Uh, we see the basis, the basis of Paul's prayer here is God's work in their lives. So Paul has... Uh, knowledge of the Ephesians and God's work in their lives and because they are fellow believers 
He is aware of their relationship with God, and that is his basis for praying for them. So this prayer example that we're going to look at is a prayer for how to pray for ourselves as believers or how to pray for other believers in their relationship with God, because that's what Paul was doing. It's prayer for other believers. And notice how Paul begins his prayer. Um, there's a key word when you see Paul praying. He uses this word, verse 17 is the start of it. He says, in my prayers, and he says the word that. The word that is your clue that everything else he's going to say now is the specific detail of what he's praying. So we see the beginning of his prayer here is praise to God. Paul often starts his prayers with praise to God, and so he does here. He speaks of God, and he speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of the Father of glory, God who has dominion and rule over all things. So he speaks of God in praise here, but also notice, backing up, to 15, or I'm sorry, 16, a very common part of Paul's prayer is thanksgiving. He says in 16, do not, I do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. I know it's simple. I know we've talked about it before. But I know it's helpful for me to be reminded that much of our prayer time should also include thanksgiving. How, how, many, how many times do we pray and ask God for things and then neglect to remember to go back and thank Him for those things that He's answered? We tend to bounce from tragedy to tragedy in our prayers, but it's important to remember to give Him thanks. Um, I've heard of some people keeping journals of things that have been answers to prayer and using that as a means to be reminded of what God has answered, and maybe even in some cases years later, thinking back on that and giving God thanks for that. But Paul regularly uses praise and thanksgiving as he starts his prayers. We see that here. We see secondly, we, we see as well the summary of his request. Paul summarizes what he's praying for here in 17, and he says that summary is that God of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him a simple way to say that is that you would grow in knowledge of God that you would come to know God better these are believers they already know God they already have a relationship with him but he's praying that their knowledge of God, their relationship and closeness with God would grow. So that is the basic summary of what he's saying. And I just mentioned some definitions of a few words here. Um, he uses the word wisdom. Wisdom. In using the word wisdom, um, I understand wisdom here to speak of the capacity to understand and function accordingly. So think about that. When you think about knowledge, um, and the way knowledge is often used is simply just facts often in our world or information. 
but we understand that's relationship. Wisdom here is, is the ability or the capacity to understand, but also function according to that. So wisdom is acting on this knowledge that we have. So he's praying for them to have wisdom, that they would understand who God is and act on that knowledge. He's also praying for their revelation. Now, we have to be a little careful about that word. If you're a student of theology, and I know your pastor was a very good teacher, a sound theologian, he taught you, if you didn't already know, that there is such a thing as general revelation, uh, which would be God revealing himself in nature, and there is also specific revelation, which is what we have recorded in God's Word, right? Now, we, we know the Word of God has been completed, right? There is no more revelation of God's Word coming, right? It's done. It's completed. The canon is closed. So what, what should we learn then from what Paul is saying of revelation here? I think we could simply understand it as more similar to the other word we use of illumination, all right? Paul's praying that they would simply come to understand more about God, that God would give them understanding. So it's God, as we sang about, opening our eyes so that we can understand what he has already written, right? So it's not that we're waiting for a special word from heaven, some kind of special revelation, but he's praying for us to understand the revelation that God's already given. So that's how he's praying here, and that's the idea of revelation. Um, we also see knowledge of God, and we've talked about that a lot already. This is not just facts, but a growing and understanding of who God is so that our relationship with him grows and deepens. On a simple level, for those who are married, your knowledge, your knowledge of your spouse, how does it compare today to when you were first married? Right? You understand in that relationship, that knowledge that you have of your spouse has grown significantly over the year, hopefully. And hopefully it wasn't a complete shock to you, right, after you were married, right? But what you knew and what you thought of your spouse before you were married probably is a little bit different, and, and the depth you have now in that knowledge is significant, right? So if, if I were to ask you about your spouse and you were to talk about your spouse and explain what you know about your spouse, you couldn't divorce that knowledge of your spouse from your relationship with your spouse. That knowledge goes hand in hand with your love for your spouse and the things you've experienced together, the things you've learned together. And uh, we, we, we actually were just at a marriage. We were just at a marriage yesterday. And uh, marriage ceremony. And somebody I work with who's a believer uh, got married yesterday. And it was exciting to think about the concept of how they now as a couple are going to learn things together, right? They're going to experience new things together. They're going to have to learn to pray together. They're going to have to learn to solve problems together. 
They're going to have to experience some hardships together and grow in that because in a relationship, knowledge is a key part of that relationship and it growing and developing and getting deeper. And so it is here that Paul's praying for them to have a deeper knowledge of God that their relationship would grow. Now, I'd also point out to you the source of the knowledge is mentioned here, though you might see it as a little subtle. He says that God would give you the spirit of wisdom or spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. The source, ultimately, for this knowledge is God himself. God is the source, but specifically, I I mentioned there, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who has given us the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one that illumines us to understand the scriptures. The Holy Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of our sin, convinces us we're, we're, we're sinful, we're not matching up, and uses his word to do that. So the source here is the Holy Spirit. And... As we mentioned in in, uh, letter D there, point number two, he is praying for this knowledge to grow. It's a growing knowledge that he's praying for. As we mentioned, they're already believers. They already know some basic things about God. They've already come to trust him as Lord and Savior. They already have a relationship, but his prayer is that this knowledge will grow. And, And then we get to verse 18 and the rest to really see point number three here, the substance of what he's praying for. This is the meat of what he's really asking God to do in their lives. We know that he's praying for them to know God better, but then he's going to name some specific things that he wants them to understand better. And the first one he mentions there is to know the hope of your calling. To know the hope of your calling. So verse 18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. So we talked about this last week. The word calling. The word calling is synonymous with salvation. Um, I took you to Romans 8.30 last week, but I think what I did was in such a hurry that I didn't explain the significance of the connection in Romans 8.30 to the word calling. I just basically read it and kind of moved on. So if you'll just turn back there with me again. We'll look at Romans 8.30 again and uh, try to explain a little bit more the connection that I was thinking about to convince you of the point here. Romans 8.30 says, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we know God is going to glorify believers, those who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you work backwards... Everything that's true of glorification is true earlier. So those that are going to be glorified have been justified. Those that have been justified have been called. And those that have been called have been predestinated. So the point is, 
calling, if you're called in the sense that Paul uses called, you're going to be glorified. That means you are going to ultimately, finally be saved. All right? So calling, as Paul uses it here, means salvation. So the other question then is what does the word hope mean? Hope in our day tends to get used in the sense of I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think it might. I really hope it happens, right? So if I were to ask a unsaved coworker if they think they're going to win the lottery, they're going to say, well, I bought a ticket, and it's, the Powerball is $500 million or whatever. I hope so. Well, that kind of hope isn't very solid, is it? It's <laughs> very much not going to happen, right, in, in the great majority of cases. But that's not the biblical idea of hope. The biblical idea of hope is more of a certainty about the future with an expectation or an anticipation of it coming to pass. So it's not, I, I'm not sure if I'm going to be saved and I hope I'm saved. It's, I know God has called me. I know he's justified me. I know he's going to glorify me. And I am eagerly looking forward to that day when those things happen. The final salvation. That's what he means here. And he's asking that God would help them to understand better the end of their salvation. What's to come in the future. That's a great thing to pray. I won't ask for a raise of hands. But how many times do we pray that way for people? That they would have a better, a deeper understanding of things to come and a growing anticipation of it being fulfilled. We're very caught up in what happens day to day. It becomes hard and easy. I mean, I'm saying it becomes easy for us to take our focus off of future things and looking forward to it and to become consumed with the day to day. But Paul's praying that they would have a growing knowledge of their final salvation, a growing understanding of that, and that their hope, therefore, in anticipation of this, would grow as well. A great, great thing to be praying. The better we understand the things to come, the more we're going to want them to come, right? The more we understand and really grasp what God is going to do in the future, the more we'll anticipate it. And that's what he's praying about. He's praying that they'd have this greater knowledge so that they would have a greater anticipation. But we also need to have a greater focus on what's coming in the future. Um, he also mentions here, he also mentions here the inheritance. He says that they would know the glorious riches of his inheritance. The glorious riches of his inheritance says here in verse 18 that you'll know what is the hope of his calling 
and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So again, the focus is very much on the future. But look with me just at uh, verse 11, Ephesians. He talks there about inheritance. He says, verse 11, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So if you're a believer, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Verse 13 and 14, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Now, in the, in the King James... The word used for the pledge there is earnest. And, and when we think about buying a house, if you've bought a house, one of the things you have to do when you found the one that you want and it's available, you put down earnest money, right? You are securing that house so that it will belong to you and you're saying, I'm going to pay the rest, but this is a partial payment. And if for some reason you decide to pull out of that house purchase, you lose that money, right? So with that in mind, what is, what is God saying here? God is saying that he has given us the Holy Spirit as his guarantee that we will participate in this future inheritance, that we have it if we have the holy spirit it is a sign it is a uh, symbol of his guarantee that we will participate in that future inheritance so paul is praying here that they would grow in their understanding of this inheritance and that is a great thing for us to pray about as well again we often live day to day wondering how we're going to make do with what we have we're, we're wondering how to stretch things we're wondering what we can get and and uh, how we're going to make it all work at times and yet we need to be consumed with thinking about this future inheritance that god is going to give us we need to grow in our understanding of that and the significance of it that it would compel us to have a greater anticipation of its coming but he also prays here letter C, that we, they would know the surpassing greatness, the surpassing greatness of his power. He says here, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? And then what he does is he goes on and he explains some examples of this power. So, Let's look at these examples that he explains of this power. He says that it is the power that are working. It says, this same power is working in accordance with the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So example number one, this is resurrection power. The same God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is at work in our lives. 
And Paul's praying that they would understand that power better. We should pray that we would understand better that power of God at work in our lives, both understanding the scriptures and what he says, but also by experience observing God's working in our lives, his power demonstrated in our lives as well. So it's that same power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same power, he says here, that seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He is very purposeful about explaining there is no contest to this power. God has all power and no one can contest him. That same God who has all power is at work in the lives of his children. And we need to grow in our knowledge and appreciation of that power. It's also the power that he says here uh, puts all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the church. That same power at work to do all these things, that same God is working in our lives. And our knowledge, our appreciation of that power should grow. We should have a deeper and greater appreciation of that knowledge. So Paul, Paul gives us an example here of how we can pray to know God better, how we can pray for others to know God better. We should pray that God will give an increase in knowledge, that he will give us a greater understanding of the hope of our calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance, and a greater knowledge of his great power that is unparalleled in the universe. We need to pray for greater knowledge of those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you graciously work in our lives to cause us to understand, and yet we realize our knowledge is so limited. Our understanding is very small. We also get focused on the things of here and now. We pray that you'd help us to grow in our knowledge of you, that our understanding would be open, that we'd have a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of the future salvation, what you're going to do in the future, and that therefore our anticipation and looking forward to it and our changing of our lives to be ready for it would have a tremendous impact on us. Help us to grow in knowledge that we know you better and help us to be diligent in praying for others to know you better, other believers to know you better as well. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.